Welcome to the Maritime Podcast. For the latest episode of Maritime in Minutes, you're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News, and Gary Howard, Europe editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. And we'll be discussing some of the most topical stories from the month of March in the world of maritime and shipping that appeared on Sea Trade Maritime News. Well, it's certainly been a busy month, and we're going to be taking this week by week. So, Gary, maybe you'd like to kick us off, going right back to the beginning of March. Yeah, it's a big one. It's a five-weeker, and uh, as we ended February's Maritime in Minutes, so we will begin March. A story that I'll cover here in week one, but it sort of spans the whole month and is ongoing. We've published many articles covering the war in Ukraine and its impact on our industry, all of which are collected on our Ukraine crisis page on Sea Trade Maritime News. But let me pick out a few stories and themes. First and foremost is an emerging humanitarian crisis for seafarers trapped in that region. Crews are being told that vessels are the safest place to be because of the, the state of things on land. But in many cases, supplies on board are running low and the situation on land in some areas makes it really difficult to resupply civilians on the ground, let alone those seafarers stuck on ships. There are various charities and organizations working to resolve this incredibly difficult situation. We have seen where possible seafarers being evacuated from their ships and out of Ukraine, and we even have a a video of one such operation up on the site. The IMO announced it's working to establish a blue corridor for ships to move safely out of the Sea of Azov. But as we've seen with humanitarian corridors on the land, these are difficult to establish. And then there's a real threat of any agreement breaking down when ships and civilians start moving. I mean, I could speak for hours about Ukraine. I'm sure you could as well, Marcus. But given this is supposed to be a bite-sized podcast, please check out our further coverage on the impacts on tanker and dry bulk markets and the withdrawal of companies from Russia and the legal impact of sanctions. There's there's so much up on the site, so, so go and check it all out. Indeed, Gary. It's an enormous story, and it's basically worth a podcast or more on its own. And indeed, we have already had a special focus episode of the Maritime Podcast on 17th of March on the impact of the war in Ukraine on the dry bulk market, and that's really well worth a listen. From my side, coming back to the first week of March, I'd like to highlight a story from the US, where President Joe Biden, in his State of the Union address, targeted container lines for overcharging. The President noted that half a dozen foreign-owned companies had increased prices by a thousand percent or more, and that he planned to crack down on businesses overcharging American companies and consumers. This would be done through plans to strengthen the enforcement of the 1984 US Shipping Act through the Federal Maritime Commission. The shipping industry predictably dismissed allegations as unfounded, but with no US lines, they are an easy target to blame for inflation, providing a bogeyman that has very little political sway, often a problem for shipping in general. So, in the first week, we've had Russia invading the Ukraine and impacting on shipping, and the US president targeting container lines. And we're only at the end of week one. Let's move to week two. Yeah, let's. So my week two story is the UK government's refresh of its shipbuilding strategy, I think first launched in 2017, uh, which includes a 30-year pipeline for UK shipbuilding. 
that covers naval vessels, research vessels. There's some ferries in there and, and other ships all due to be built in the UK. The government also announced that it would form a sort of credit guarantee scheme to cover up to 80% of the cost of vessels built in the UK. And that was something that came up in a recent podcast interview I did with Maritime London Chair Harry Theachary. So it was great to see the government making some steps on that. At this point in March, I was very glad to see the government paying some attention to our sector. And that is what they in the business call foreshadowing. Marcus, what's your week two pick? It's something quite different. It's looking at an operational cost that is going to affect pretty much the entire industry. And that was the bunker price crossing the $1,000 per tonne mark for very low sulfur fuel oil, both in Singapore and Fujairah. This was driven by soaring crude oil prices over uncertainty of energy sanctions against Russia. Prices have come off somewhat since then, but do remain really quite high at around $860 to $890 per tonne for very low sulfur fuel oil. That was yesterday's prices. And they probably are set to remain high as well. There are a couple of interesting points to note, though. Singapore is now cheaper than Rotterdam, which is unusual, and as Rotterdam is more dependent on Russian oil. And heavy fuel oil is around $200 per tonne cheaper than very low sulfur fuel oil, making scrubbers a very highly economic option if you actually happen to want to fit it, and demand for HFO is therefore going up. With that, let's move into week three. And Gary, you have a story which astounded people for, well, all the wrong reasons, really. Oh, it really has. My week three story is one that I think will live in infamy here in the UK and perhaps further afield. P&O Ferries, an operator which runs ferry services both within the UK and between the UK and Europe, decided to fire 800 seafarers without warning and without prior consultation to unions and flags. This did not go down well. PO Ferries has managed to unite the RMT and Nautilus unions, uh, which represent most of the affected seafarers, and sort of highlighted that there remains a real strength of voice from those two unions and other unions who have been protesting up and down the country over this move. PO had planned to sack its crews and replace them with cheaper agency workers as part of a change in its crewing strategy and be back to operating its vessels within about 10 days. This has not happened for most of its routes. The UK Maritime and Coast Guard Agency, MCA, has carried out port state inspections on two vessels and subsequently detained those vessels for safety and other failures. Eight vessels in total will need inspection before returning to service, and you know they're not off to a great start. Meanwhile, P&O CEO Peter Hebblethwaite appeared in front of a joint hearing of UK business and transport committees. The questions put to him by MPs were savage, and his responses were absolutely remarkable. I think the committee chair said he'd never heard such evidence in his career, and that was certainly not meant as praise. From this and from other meetings and speeches, it's clear that the UK government wants to pressure P&O Ferries into reversing its decision, but that call has been rejected. There is further pressure from the government to make any return to service for P&O Ferries as, as painful and delayed as possible, really, including in that transport committee meeting calls for a possible injunction. I mean, it looks like this this event is going to lead to regulatory reform here in the UK. P&O Ferries and owner DP World's reputations are, are just in tatters. For their part, they said this decision had to be made for the business to survive. 
but the public outrage over here is huge and the brand damage may well sink the company anyway. There are calls for the government even to consider, reconsider rather, its dealings with DP World, including some Freeport deal arrangements. Just an absolute mess, really. Yes, there is actually almost nothing else I can say about that story except for the fact it would provide an incredible sort of case study for years to come on how not to handle HR and PR situations. They seem to have managed to break every rule in the book, and a few probably hadn't been thought of. I'm going to go across to the other side of the Atlantic now, and it's another story that fitted into that you couldn't make it up category. In this case, it was the ever-forward grounding outside the port of Baltimore almost exactly a year after the Ever Given closed the Suez Canal for six days. The rather inaptly named Ever Forward was quickly renamed the Ever Stuck by the internet, and this actually appears to not be too wide of the mark, as it still hasn't moved about two and a half weeks later. Two attempts to reflate the vessel have been unsuccessful, and owner Evergreen has now declared general average on the vessel. As the salvage operation drags on, this looks set to be yet another highly costly casualty for insurers. Be sure to check out seatrademaritime.com for updates on both the Everforward and P&O ferries. I'm sure there's going to be more on both of these stories. Now, let's move on to week four, Gary. Yeah, a quick one for me for this week, given everything else I've covered. Electrolux opted to use a CMA-CGM greed initiative for 40,000 TUs of its household appliances. This is a deal to move those boxes onto LNG-powered vessels and take up a share of a guarantee of origin scheme for CMA-CGM's biomethane. The line claims this will lead to a 25% reduction in welterweight emissions for moving these containers. That's just kind of a quick one just to pick up on a trend that we're seeing from container lines, and I think we're going to see more of these arrangements and deals coming in the coming months and years. No, it's an interesting development, both with lines and their customers. For myself, there was quite a lot of shoes from the, during that week, but something that did leap out at me was the cybersecurity report by Thetius for CyberAL and law firm HFW that showed, well, what can only be described as an alarming lack of awareness of the issue. In particular, it highlighted that where a ransom is paid in a ransomware type attack by maritime companies, it costs an average of $3.1 million. Despite that hefty figure, 54% of companies surveyed in the report spent less than $100,000 a year on cybersecurity, seemingly willing to ignore the downside risk of being the one in 12 experiencing an average cyber attack cost of some $1.8 million. So there's a big downside risk there. Now, moving to the last week of March, Gary, your attentions have been very much stateside. So this week I've been busy covering the conference content at CMA Shipping in the US. In former markets, organizers that event, which I think many know as the one where a prominent figure from US shipping ends up in a silly hat. Uh, this year's Commodore is Gary Vogel, CEO of Eagle Bulk, so congratulations to him. 
some great content from the conference already and there's more to come as uh, I'm going to dive back into the, the sort of parallel sessions going on that I couldn't watch live. Uh, but we've had discussions on how US regulations are holding back adoption of greener fuels, lots of insight into some diverse market impacts from the war in Ukraine and Russia sanctions, picking up on your last story, warnings of increased cyber risks to shipping due to the Ukraine war, lots of talk about supporting and training seafarers for the future, the impact of increased regulatory compliance workload on companies and on the market. And there was a really great and insightful panel on the bunker market as well. So many great points made by prominent members of the US and international maritime communities. Check out our coverage page for all of the CMA content. Like I said, even more to come. And we really cover a lot of the stories that we've already talked about here on the podcast today. Yeah, loads to read off on there and some fantastic content. I'm going to go to the other side of the planet where things have been going very differently to getting back together for large physical events. Shanghai went into a snap two-phase lockdown against COVID as the local government rolled out mass testing for some 25 million people. Information on the impact on ports and logistics have been relatively sparse, but ports have remained operational using a closed loop where staff stay on site and never go home. However, warehouses are closed and trucking is estimated to have been reduced by some 30%. As with the recent lockdown in Shenzhen, the impact seems relatively limited on shipping and logistics. However, the big concern has to be where China goes from here with its zero COVID policy. The experience of Hong Kong, which had managed to keep itself almost COVID free till early this year, points to Omicron being so infectious that even the toughest measures won't keep it at bay. And that could be a serious test for China's zero COVID strategy and the efficacy of its non-mRNA vaccines, which it used for its population. And if you see a repeat of the situation that has been in Hong Kong on a larger scale, that could have huge impacts for factory production, ports, logistics, all sorts of sectors. So it was something that we're really going to have to watch. And just lots of stories to keep watching in the coming months. So be sure to sign up to our newsletter at ctrademaritime.com and get this news straight to your inbox. That's all we have time for on this episode of Maritime in Minutes. Stay safe. And myself and Gary look forward to talking to you again at the beginning of May. <laughs>